Kira mentioned that I was a project manager of this building. Um, yeah, I was. And, uh, wow. You know, God's put a dream on my heart a long time ago. I remember 1986 when New Frontiers had Downs Bible Weeks at Plumpton. Anyone there then? I know a good number of you weren't born then, were you? <laughs> I remember then having, you know, being there worshipping with thousands of people and hearing amazing teaching and feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit there. And God put that dream in my heart. And that's a dream which is coming true in this place. That it's so open, accessible. We have such wonderful worship. I mean, wasn't our worship fantastic this morning? There's a presence of the Holy Spirit here. And we're so privileged to have so many anointed leaders who bring the Word of God to us. It's wonderful. We're going to continue this morning in our series in Acts, uh, which is titled Turning the World Upside Down. And last Sunday we had Dave Holden here, and Dave was preaching an amazing message, and if you didn't hear it, I really would recommend that you download it from our website or maybe from iTunes so you can hear it. By the way, in case you don't know, Dave Holden is one of the apostolic leadership team of New Frontiers. He's also the leader of our sphere, New Ground. This week, you've got me, and some of you don't even know me. Some of you probably recognize me from wearing a blue hosting team t-shirt. I'm someone who doesn't hold any position in the church. And the passage that Jim's given me today in Acts 8 seems very fitting to me because it concerns an ordinary guy called Philip, who's not one of the 12 apostles in Jerusalem, who's not a church leader. In fact, we don't even get to hear about Philip until chapter 6 of Acts. And that's when the, ch the church chooses seven men, seven ordinary men, men with good reputations, men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, to work in the food bank in Jerusalem, giving food to widows in that church. An ordinary guy. And when we read chapters 6 and 7, it tells us about increasing persecution in the church. And it leads to one of the guys in the food bank, a guy called Stephen, being stoned, being killed, and he's the first Christian martyr. And then we read that the persecution continues. The aim is to destroy the church. Innocent men and women are dragged out of their homes and thrown in prison simply because they believe in Jesus. And because of that persecution, many ordinary men and women are scattered to the adjoining lands. The 12 apostles stay in Jerusalem and weather the persecution there. So the passage we're going to have today is in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 25. And I'll be working through those verses, reading from the English Standard Version, which may differ slightly from your version. So let me start at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Being scattered makes me think about the dandelions in my garden. I've got lots of dandelions. The wind blows their seeds everywhere in the garden. That's unless my two cute granddaughters have not blown the seed heads already. 
the harder the wind blows, the harder that they blow, the further the seeds are scattered. And so my garden now is full of dandelion seeds that have now grown into plants. And the cycle goes on and on. You know, the enemy has tried to use evil of persecution to crush the church. But God uses that evil for good. He uses it to spread the church like seeds being scattered into adjoining lands. Jesus' promise that he's made to his disciples that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the work is beginning to be fulfilled. Ordinary Christian men cannot be silenced, for they are filled with the Holy Spirit who gives them boldness to preach about Jesus. And then after this big picture, we zoom into one person, this one person, Philip. It's in verse 5 that we read that Philip went down to Samaria and proclaimed them to them the Christ. Do you know one thing that's easy to miss is the environment in Samaria? Because Samaria is essentially a no-go area for Jews. At one time, the Jews and Samaritans have been one race. But there have been a split hundreds of years ago between, those, between the Jews and Samaritans. As a result, the Jews despised the Samaritans, and the feeling was likewise for the Samaritans. That hostility had actually existed for 700 years. You know, you might be interested in more background. If you are, look in the Old Testament at 2 Kings 17, but don't do it now, do it at home. Before I continue, I've got to admit a failing. My failing is that when I watch a movie or box sets, I can't cope with flashbacks and flash forwards. It just confuses me. I wonder if there's anyone else like that. It looks like, oh, thank you, Rob. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. You see, I'm an engineer, a linear thinker. I can only think one step after another. And so what I'm going to do today is try and avoid a flashback through these verses. So what I'm going to do is move from verse 5 and then pick up in verses 9 to 11, just to set the scene in that city. We already know that there's hostility between Jews and Samaritans. So picking up, there's a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was someone great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. To me, when I look at Simon, I think he's some, someone who's clearly got an issue. It's pride. It's pride in his position. All this magic pointed to one person, to Simon, I am the greatest. I am Simon, the great magician. Everyone in the city was in awe of Simon. To, to them, he was like a godlike figure. You know, and to gain that sort of status, I do not think that he was like a 21st century ma magician, maybe like the late Paul Daniels, or maybe the guy from Britain's Got Talent, uh, Mark Spiel Spielman. 
Guys who did amazing magic tricks and illusions. From what I've read, it's more likely that Simon used occult powers to perform his magic acts. And so with this background in Samaria, we've got to ask the question, why on earth would anyone want to go there, a Jew? And I believe that the Holy Spirit had put an unquenchable passion in Philip's heart to tell people about Jesus, even the hated race in the grip of a magician. As Philip comes to the city, he proclaims Jesus, and all the attention shifts away from Simon onto what Philip is bringing to them. So again, pick up in verse 6. All the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the, the signs that he did. Well, that must have been a powerful message to change the attention from Simon to what Philip had got to say. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. And then skipping down to verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued to follow Philip and seeing signs and great wonders performed, he was amazed. So let's look at these verses and ask three questions. First of all, I guess you already know the, the answer to the first one. Who was proclaiming Christ? This was Philip, an ordinary man, not an apostle, not a church leader, an ordinary Christian filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, let that encourage you, let that encourage me to share what we know about Jesus with others. And we've recently been on holiday, and Janet and I took a trip to a place called Cordoba. Um, we went to its Catholic cathedral. It's quite a unique Catholic cathedral, because it's actually built in the center of an ancient mosque. As one does, on the tour we got chatting with an English couple. And as we walked around, the lady said to Janet, the Bible and the Quran are the same, aren't they? Wow. <laughs> Janet could easily have stayed silent. I mean, we're never going to see that couple there. None of you guys were here to see that, you know, Janet hadn't responded. Janet told this lady that she was a Christian. And then she gently explained that the Bible and the Quran are not the same. Janet went on to explain that the Catholic Church had got much of the teachings of the, Old Test of the New Testament, of the early church, confused and wrong. Janet explained that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil that was in the Jewish temple, which separated man from God, was torn from top to bottom. No longer that man would be separated from God. Janet then went on to explain that we don't need a priest, we don't need clergy between us and God, that through Jesus we can now have direct access to God. At first, Janet faced an awkward silence. 
That happens sometimes, doesn't it? But later the conversation flowed with a lady saying she'd seen an ad for the Alpha course in her village. And Janet suggested, why don't you go on the Alpha course and learn some more? A seed planted, which we hope will grow. You know, I know there are many others in our church who take every opportunity to tell others what they know about Jesus. I can think of one friend, again on holiday, he explained to an Islamic imam that Jesus is more than a prophet. Another friend who works in our cafe here speaks of Jesus whenever the opportunity arises. Ordinary Christian men and women telling what they know of Jesus. Let us all be willing to take the risk to share what we know about Jesus whenever we get the opportunity. For God has given us not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love. Amen? Yeah. The next question, what was Philip's message? Well, the Bible tells us that he proclaimed the Christ, that he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. These phrases are like shorthand. And so what I wanted to do was unpack what I believe Jesus would have, excuse me, Philip would have proclaimed and preached about Jesus. First of all, Philip would have proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, the one who was prophesied of long ago, chosen by God to save his people. Philip would preach about the good news of the kingdom of God, the reign of the eternal sovereign God. In the realm of heaven, God's reign is total, and it's a place of righteousness, a place of peace and justice, where there is no sickness, no mourning, and no injustice. And it was wonderful when Peter brought us that reading this morning, which gave us that vision of God in heaven on the throne. He was speaking that Jesus, as we sang, didn't want heaven without us, so he brought heaven down. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to earth, to bring the rule, the authority, and the power of God here. Totally different to the selfish and corrupt system that, the, that we have in the world. And he would say that the kingdom of God is now near. That's why people are being healed. That's why people are being set free. It's the kingdom of God breaking out on earth. If you want to know more about the kingdom of God, I would really encourage you to go onto our website, look back in January, for Jim preached a fabulous message on the kingdom of God. Download it and listen to it again. And Philip would preach the name of Jesus, shorthand for the facts about Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus left heaven to be born of a virgin, that Jesus lived as a man, that Jesus amazed people with his teaching, that Jesus performed miracles. Jesus set captives free and brought healing to people. But then he was crucified. He died and was buried. But the grave could not hold him as we sung. 
Jesus was raised from the dead, witnessed by over 500 people on 12 different occasions. Jesus ascended to heaven and is now seated at God's right hand. Jesus is alive today. He would teach what Jesus accomplished on the, on the cross for those who choose to put their faith in him. Sins removed. God's anger against sinners removed. People reconciled completely to God, redeemed from an empty life of sin that by believing in Jesus, may, we may receive new life, be born again, set free, be new creations, now adopted into God's family, receive the seal of the Holy Spirit through hearing and believing. And these words of Philip were accompanied by visible signs of power and authority. Unclean spirits are cast out, no longer to bind people in lives of misery, no longer causing sickness and self-harm, no longer corrupting minds to commit immoral and harmful acts. The paralyzed and the lame are healed. Signs much more awesome than the magic tricks of Simon. I mean, it's so much so that Simon, who thought so much of himself, was absolutely amazed and these were signs that happened as Jesus taught, as the apostles preached. These were signs and wonders that pointed not to Philip, but to Jesus, the promised Messiah and the kingdom of God. And this gospel message, these signs of the kingdom, filled the city with much joy. Friends, this is the normal church. This is what happens. And many of us will have had glimpses of that power. Do you know, I can first remember my seeing of someone who was once lame, but then walked. It was in our church, almost 10 years ago to the day. We held an event called the Freedom Weekend, where we invited people from Burgess Hill and Haywood Heath to come join us, see the power of Jesus and hear the message of Jesus. I can remember that an Indian friend of mine, I was going to say an old Indian friend of mine, but I guess I'm probably his age now. <laughs> but he was right. He was crippled with back pain. I saw him come in because I was on hosting, and he was absolutely racked with back pain. He couldn't walk properly. He was prayed for, he was healed, and I ran up and down a corridor with him as he demonstrated that he was healed. It was wonderful, and many other people in that place were healed that, that night, and there was much excitement and much joy. Friends, you know, I want more than glimpses of signs and wonders. I hunger for the day when we see mid-Sussex amazed at signs and wonders, amazed at the power of the gospel. Does anyone else? Yes, that's what we want to see. We want to see mid-Sussex transformed. We want to see the power of Jesus at work in mid-Sussex. 
We want to see joy brought by the gospel in Mid-Sussex. Do you know the, the words of an Old Testament prophet called Habakkuk come to my mind? He said, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. Let that be our prayer. Lord, we want those things now, here in our community. We want to see you break out. We want to see this city, these towns transformed by your love and your power. Oh, let that be our prayer. My next question is, how did the people respond? They believed. They believed what Philip had preached about the Christ, the kingdom, and the work of Jesus Christ for them. Jesus offers nothing less than new lives for old. Many around this room can testify that, that they've left an old life behind, an old life that was unsatisfying, and being given a new life which satisfies, which excites, which falls full of joy and hope for the future. New lives in Jesus Christ. You know, if you're not a Christian here this morning, as I continue to speak, I want to ask you one question. Will you put your trust in Jesus Christ this morning? Will you exchange your old life for a new life? I'm going to give an opportunity for that later. Just consider that question, will you? The next response was to be baptized. Being baptized is a natural response to believing in Jesus. Baptism in water is an outward testimony of the inward change in a believer's life. Two, the two things, believing and baptism, go together. And do you know what, what? When I look at the New Testament, I do not see examples in the New Testament of a long delay between believing and being baptized. But I've got a confession to make before you all. It took me two years to make that decision to be baptized from when I first put my belief in Jesus. I waited. Janet, my wife, waited too. You know, we both believed that, well, we were baptized as babies. Didn't that count? But we came to that realization that what we needed to do was express our faith in Jesus Christ publicly by being baptized. Like many of you, we, we invited friends who were Christians, friends who were not Christians, to witness us saying that we believe in Jesus, that Jesus has changed our lives. Friends, if you've not been baptized, I would encourage you to be baptized. You know, there are other excuses that people use. People will say, I'm not ready. I'd say to you, have you believed in Jesus? Then you are ready. Do you know what others would say? I couldn't stand up on the stage and give a testimony. I'd say, well, don't then. Simply say you love Jesus and be baptized. Do you know, oh, what was it, 25 years ago, we lived in Houston, Texas. Every week, there were baptisms in that church. Each and every week at each meeting, people believing and being baptized. Oh, how I long for that in our community, in our church. So, if you've not been baptized and you believe in Jesus, let me leave that challenge Make that decision today to be baptized. 
Moving on to verse 14. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, two of the apostles, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone who I lay my hands on will, may receive the Holy Spirit. First of all, let me look at Peter and John. It's an amazing change of heart for Peter and John. You see, Jews would never touch unclean Samaritans for starts. Even more, in John's Gospel, chapter 9, it records that John had previously suggested calling down fire on villages in Samaria, <laughs> right? So here's the, I won't touch them, I'll call down fire on them. Now, I'm going to lay hands on them. I'm going to touch these people. Pray that they will receive the Holy Spirit. You know, friends, human nature divides people. The Holy Spirit unites people. Then Simon's reaction, you know, he couldn't get things more wrong. He sees the Holy Spirit as a commodity to be bought. He thinks he can buy his way to be an apostle. Peter's never one who minces words. He rebukes Simon very firmly that he'll have no part in the ministry because his heart's not right before God. And Simon also invites Excuse me, Peter also invites Simon to repent of his wickedness and ask for God's forgiveness. But sadly, we do not read of any repentance on Simon's behalf. What he does, Simon just simply asks Peter to pray for him. He doesn't repent personally. And then we read of the two apostles returning to Jerusalem. So now let's turn our attention to the Samaritans. Do you know, it makes me wonder why they didn't receive the Holy Spirit when they believed. Why they got to wait until the two apostles came down from Jerusalem to, let, to lay hands on them. See, in Jerusalem, the believers had already received the Holy Spirit. Now, in God's sovereign plan, He sends Peter and John to lay hands on the Samaritans to receive that same Holy Spirit. Jews and Samaritans united by one Holy Spirit. I think that's why this is a unique occasion in church history, and it needs the apostles to come down for these guys to receive the Holy Spirit. It is to unite them in a bond of love and unity, to undo that 700 years of hostility. Let me now turn attention to the Holy Spirit. You know, I was shocked by a survey that I, I read recently, which was carried out of Christians this year in the UK. Two-thirds believed that the Holy Spirit is a force. So this morning, I want us to be clear on the identity of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit has knowledge, has a will, a mind intelligence, 
can be grieved, can speak, and can intercede for us. These are characteristics of a person, not of a force. God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who has coexisted with God the Father and God the Son since before the creation of the world. You know, friends, receiving the Holy Spirit is the promise for every Christian. It's a core part of being a Christian, just like belief and baptism. And as I look through the book of Acts, it seems to me that there's always a definite experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. Many of you will be able to pinpoint that moment in your lives. For some, that moment will have been when you first believed in Jesus. John, I've asked a number of people about their experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. And a large number say that there was actually a gap in time between believing and having the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I asked Janet, my wife, and she told me that her experience was this, that she'd believed and been baptized years earlier. And then one day, an old lady prayed for her, prayed that Janet might receive the Holy Spirit. And Janet's experience was amazing. She felt an incredible strength from this old lady. And Janet felt a, sh- a violent shaking as she received the Holy Spirit. There's a famous uh, Methodist movement leader of the 18th century, Charles Wesley. He described that being filled with the Spirit as, as, I felt my heart strangely warmed. My own experience in being filled with the Holy Spirit is an unexplainable feeling deep down inside me, moving me and shaking me, uncontrollable. You know, I've had other friends who started speaking in tongues fluently, languages that they had not learned, but what the Bible calls speaking in tongues at the time they received the Holy Spirit. And there are other outward signs they would include gifts of prophecy and healing, other gifts of the Holy Spirit. In Acts, we read of events like winds blowing, tongues of fire descending, and places being shaken but it may also be a personal overwhelming sense of peace and being loved. Because everyone's experience is not identical. Being filled with the Spirit is an unforgettable experience. It's not limited either to a single occurrence. For we, we, excuse me, we read in Acts that the apostles were filled with the Spirit many times. And when the Holy Spirit comes, we receive power to live our new lives for Jesus, to overcome temptation, to have an unquenchable passion for Jesus and an unstoppable boldness to tell others the good news of the kingdom in Jesus. Friends, there are three things at the core of being a Christian. Belief in Jesus, baptism in water, 
and receiving the Spirit. At this time, I want to invite the band to come up. And for the rest of us, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand. Because when the band plays this, this worship song, I want you to consider three things. If you're not a Christian, will you believe in Jesus today? If you're not being baptized, will you commit to being baptized today? If you've not had the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, do you want that experience today? Or perhaps you've experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit in the past. Do you want more of the Holy Spirit? Do you want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit today? Those are the three things that I would ask you to consider as our band plays this song.